And I actually recently saw an ad, I believe it was on the Metro for Congressional Cemetery, and it was advertising being buried there. And it said, you don't have to be famous, you just have to be dead. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcasts or see the show notes from today's episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. And while you're over there, you can check out a Trip Hacks DC tour or do that by going directly to triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today's episode is going to take you off the beaten path and let you learn about some of the interesting things that you might not even know about. These are great for someone who's been to D.C. before and looking for something new, or for a true explorer who wants to really get out there. And with that said, I am very excited to welcome Eric Fiddler to today's podcast. Eric is an armchair historian who has lived in D.C. his whole life. He also occasionally writes for the urban planning and transportation website, Greater Greater Washington, and I will leave a link to that in the show notes for anyone who is interested. And before we get into it, I just want to say that I thought of Eric for this podcast because every time I look at your Instagram, it seems like you're off exploring some new area of the city that I didn't even know existed. Well, thanks. Yeah, actually, you know, from living here my entire life, you know, I've seen all the museums, all the monuments, the things that tourists who come here for the first time see, I've seen them a million times. So a lot of this was out of necessity, actually, just finding new and interesting places in the district. And they're actually, there are a good number of them. They're not, they're not necessarily downtown, but they're accessible to get to. And, you know, we have some interesting places, like even the largest Catholic church in the United States is actually in D.C. And I think most people don't even know that. Yeah, I think we're going to get into that one. Uh, We have a list of places that uh, you have developed that I think are all really wonderful. And yeah, like you said, they're off the beaten path, but they're not necessarily inaccessible. So anyone who comes and visits can certainly, if they make the time and are willing to, uh, you know, maybe make a little trip away from downtown, can definitely see all of these. So let's just jump into uh, them. The first one on the list is the National Arboretum which my understanding is that this is not a national park. It's actually operated by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And its main purpose is really not necessarily for visitors to come and see, but it's there to serve as a major center for botanical research. That's correct. Uh, The vast majority of people, especially people who live nearby, think of it as a park, and it looks like a park, but it's actually established as a botanical research center in uh, 1927. But it's 446 acres uh, and people might ask what an arboretum is, but I like to s- describe an arboretum as like a museum of trees. So they're all different types of species of trees and gardens uh, there on the grounds. Uh, there are also some interesting features not really related to trees, but definitely those are worth checking out. Uh, the most notable feature is actually a set of uh, columns from the Capitol. Uh, so the U.S. Capitol was built over time. Uh, if you look at early pictures, it was actually a lot smaller. You know, eventually, the big, massive dome was only built in the 1860s. Uh, but however, in the 1950s, there was a renovation of the east portico of, of the capital because after adding the dome in the 1860s, they realized it looked a little bit imbalanced and weird. And then in the 1850s, they decided to make it look a little bit larger in the center on the east side. That required taking down some of the original columns and stonework. Uh, 
from the east portico it was those columns were then moved and installed in the 1980s at the arboretum uh and it's great they sit on the top of a hill in a big meadow a uh, great place for photographs it looks like uh columns that aren't even holding up a roof uh and uh it's you can go up and look at the capital columns pretty closely and take photos however there's a column capital a capital is the decorative part at the top of a column you can actually walk up and see so what you can't see at the capital close up you can actually see there uh and it's uh you know very ornately carved from aquia sandstone uh it's a corinthian column capital with an acanthus leaf that's just west of the site on eagle nest road and when you go to when you go to the arboretum these things are actually signposted like the capital columns so they're not that hard to find uh also at the arboretum uh Mr. President and First Lady, the name of two eagles, bald eagles, which have been returning to the Arboretum every year to build a nest every fall and winter, uh, they have built a nest on the top of a tulip poplar tree. Uh, and in fact, there's a live cam on the internet, uh, which shows them building their nest uh, each year um, and shows the, the eggs that they're laying. And then, you know, in, in the spring, the eaglets hatch. And then you can see them actually bringing fish and other food to uh, the nest. So that that webcam is something that anybody can go and look at, uh, you know, from anywhere in the world. But when you do visit the Arboretum, how hard is it to actually see those eagles? Are they pretty accessible? You know, do you need a camera with a long lens or is it pretty easy to see them? Well, the best time is in the fall and winter when the leaves are off the trees. Uh, I took a visiting British friend there. Uh, It was around Christmas last year. And the leaves were off the trees, and we looked up, uh, and we didn't need binoculars. I did have a photo lens camera with me, but you could see them easily without uh, binoculars. Because these these birds are massive. I never realized how big they are. Uh, They fly during the day between the nest and the Anacostia River, which is where they find a lot of their food, uh, to deliver to the, the eaglets. Uh, you may have to be a little bit patient. Uh, the site, uh, I do not believe it's marked, but if you look carefully on Azalea Road, uh, which is a one-way road within the Arboretum near the north turning bend, just a little bit east of the Azalea Collection parking lot, uh, you'll see uh, trees that have a special treatment at the bottom. And then if you look up, you will see a, a huge nest at the top of one of the trees. So you mentioned fall and winter being the best time to go to see the eagles because there's no leaves on the trees. In one of my previous videos, I actually mentioned the Arboretum as being an excellent place to go in the spring, specifically around cherry blossom season, because people go and they, you know, go to the tidal basin and the trees are beautiful, but it's also extremely crowded. And so if you just want to go a little bit off the beaten path and go up to the Arboretum and see some wonderful foliage and cherry blossom trees up there as well. The spring is also when the the little eaglets should be learning how to fly. So you might actually catch a a good view of them. There are some other things to see in the Arboretum too. There's uh, the Bonsai Museum, the Japanese Woodland. They're under construction right now as a Chinese uh, classical garden, which should open in 2020. There are trails for hiking and admiring the collections, the azaleas, the aquatic plants, flowering trees, and the Fern Valley. Um, and you can get to the Arboretum 
uh, on New York Avenue eastbound or enter through R Street Northeast. It's open 8 to 5 every day except Christmas. Um, and the visitor center is open 8 to 4.30 p.m. except holidays. So for a visitor who doesn't have a rental car, and I typically don't recommend a visitor get a rental car, this is something you can take a taxi or an Uber to get to, but probably not the kind of thing you're going to be taking metro and then walking a long distance to go and see. Right. This one is a little bit harder to get to uh, by transit, but you can, yeah, an Uber is definitely doable. And this sounds to me a lot like the U.S. Botanic Garden, which is located right next to the Capitol, and a lot of visitors do go and see. So to me, this sounds like something that if you're into the U.S. Botanic Garden and you want even more, this would be a great opportunity to see something similar but a little bit different. Yeah, and it's much, much, much larger of course, the Botanic of course. Garden. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Congressional Cemetery, which is the next one on our list. This one, to me, is really interesting because it's a cemetery, and of course we have Arlington National Cemetery, where a lot of our visitors go, and there are a few you know, primary things they go to see when they're at Arlington. They see the changing of the guard, they see uh, JFK's Eternal Flame, and a few other things. And I actually recently saw an ad, I believe it was on the Metro, for Congressional Cemetery, and it was advertising being buried there. And it said, you don't have to be famous, you just have to be dead. So I think the interesting thing is that, you know, you hear the name and you think, oh, this is where all Congress members get buried. But in fact, that's actually not the case. It's funny you mention that because I looked at the FAQs on their website and they said the same thing. You just have to be dead (laughs) to be buried there. Uh, Well, so Congressional Cemetery is actually really old. You know, so the city was established, uh, uh, became the the capital of the United States in 1800. Uh, The cemetery was established only seven years later in 1807. Uh, it's called Congressional Cemetery, but it's actually privately owned by a nonprofit. But it's open to the public. Anybody's allowed to go visit it. Uh, the U.S. government does control 806 burial plots there, uh, which were given to many notables in the 19th century. Um, what's, what's also interesting is that there's something there called a cenotaph, which is like a stone cube with a cone on top. Uh, and it can have three meanings. It can actually mean that the person is buried under it, or it could just be a monument to mean the person is being honored there but buried elsewhere in the cemetery, or it means the person is being honored and buried somewhere else in the country. Uh, Many members of Congress who died in office in the 19th century are interred there, uh, including one vice president, one Supreme Court justice, six cabinet members, 19 senators, 71 representatives, veterans from every wars. Some of the the notable cenotaphs that you'll find there, there's one for John Quincy Adams, although, again, he was buried somewhere else. J. Edgar Hoover, who ran the FBI, Alan Locke, uh, Marion Barry, former mayor of D.C., uh, Elbridge Gary, uh, John Philip Sousa, um, technical sergeant uh, Leonard Matlovich. He was actually the first service member to deliberately out himself in the military. Uh, his, his grave is actually very notable because uh, he turned down to be buried in Arlington, and on his grave it says, when I was in the military, they gave me a medal for killing two men and a discharge for loving one. Um, also there, there's a public vault, uh, uh, and there's also a very notable uh, cube-shaped uh, gravestone. It looks like a cube turned uh, on its point sticking up out, out of the ground. Uh, it's definitely worth a visit. Uh, it's open during all daylight hours. There's a self-guided tour you can pick up at the gatehouse. 
Uh, there are docent tours every Saturday at 11 a.m., April to October. To get there, it's uh, an eight-minute walk from the Potomac Avenue Metro station. Just walk up Potomac Avenue to E Street, and that's the entrance of the gatehouse. So even though it's called Congressional Cemetery, it's actually not directly located adjacent to the Capitol. It's several miles to the east of that. So you're going to need to ride the Metro a few extra stops from you know, the Capitol South Stop, where you would typically go for the Capitol in order to get to this one. One thing you might catch uh, is in the spring and summer a few years ago to mow the lawn, they actually hired a herd of goats because uh, lawnmowers can damage uh, stones in the cemetery. So they had a herd of goats wandering around. Uh, that was uh, that was very, very entertaining for everybody in the city to watch. I remember that. And speaking of animals at the cemetery, this is actually a very, very popular spot for dog owners because about 20 years ago, they established the Canine Corps, uh, which was, you know, a group of folks, dog owners who really, you know, wanted to help volunteer and clean up the museum. And, um, you know, in the 1990s, it wasn't necessarily in um, the best area of the city. And so they really wanted to make sure that it was a place where people would feel safe and they would want to come. And so now if you're a member of the Canine Corps, you can have your dog off leash in the cemetery and they have, you know, little gatherings for dog owners. And so if you happen to go at a time when there's a lot of dog owners there, you might see a lot of pups during your, your visit. Okay, so let's go to the next one on our list, which is Roosevelt Island. Now, this one to me is really interesting because people hear Roosevelt, and typically when you think of a Roosevelt Memorial in Washington, D.C., you think of the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial on the Tidal Basin. And this is not a memorial for Franklin Roosevelt. This is a memorial for his distant cousin, Teddy Roosevelt. Right. So a lot of people will see Roosevelt Island. They'll see it from across the river from Georgetown and the Kennedy Center. Uh, If you look across the Potomac, you'll see this forest. And that's actually Roosevelt Island, which is entirely parkland. Uh, And what the great thing about is that if you go to the island, you actually get great views back the other way to Georgetown and great photos of the Kennedy Center. Actually, it's so great. Uh, One of my fraternity brothers proposed to his wife on the island. I didn't think people would think it was that special, but yeah, it's it's actually very picturesque. There's a lot of proposals on the National Mall. I see proposals at the Lincoln Memorial all the time, but if you want something a little more secluded, Roosevelt Island is definitely going to fit that bill. And another fraternity brother proposed to his wife on the top of the Kennedy Center. So yeah, I guess it's a popular place to uh, you know find your wife. (laughs) So one thing that's interesting to me about this, and as a armchair historian and geographer I'm sure you find interesting as well, is that the island is entirely in the District of Columbia, but in order to get there, you have to go through Virginia. So this is not part of the National Mall. This is part of the George Washington Parkway, another uh, park run by the National Park Service, and it's only accessible by footbridge from Virginia. There are no cars allowed on the island, no bicycles allowed on the island, so you have to go over there before you can even go to see anything. So on the island, what you'll see is there is actually a memorial to Teddy Roosevelt in the center, not too far from the footbridge. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt is known as being like this avid outdoorsman. So it's actually a perfect park to honor him. Aside from that, there are walking paths that go around the edge of the island, through the forest, along the river edge, and through, there's actually some marshland uh, and a boardwalk over it, uh, which in the springtime is uh, really beautiful with all the flowering plants. Um, So... To get there, you can get there from the GW Parkway, but there's limited parking. If you want to walk or bike, you can go to the Roslyn Metro and then walk down the Mount Vernon Trail near the Virginia side of the Francis Scott Key Bridge. That's Lee Highway and North Lynn Street. 
there's actually now a capital bike share station at the footbridge to the island. I was going to mention that I just read that they had installed a capital bike share station there. So I do have a video about how to use capital bike share. If you're interested, you can see that over at triphacksdc.com. But that is a great way to get over there if you don't uh, have other transportation. Yeah. Uh, so also, it was uh, the island was dedicated to Roosevelt, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, only in 1967. So the the memorial is among the newer of the you know grand memorials that you typically see uh, in Washington. Um, it was originally you know, the the island was originally as farmland. Uh, it then became a training site for uh, Black Union soldiers during the Civil War. Uh, but it was then turned later into a park, and so all of it has been reforested. And this was a big overgrown park in uh, the early 1900s when this was, or actually rather in the 1930s when it was um, turned into the island that it is today. So as far as the history of the city goes, this was pretty much undeveloped for most of our city's history. And the other thing that I want to note that's interesting to me is that a lot of people come on my tour and they have a comment about, wow, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's memorial is huge, you know, as far as square mileage goes compared to some of the other presidential memorials. And Teddy's is actually more than 10 times as big as Franklin's uh, memorial is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd say so. They're, 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 they're very, uh, they're very appropriate to the different Roosevelt's because like the Teddy one is definitely like an outdoors hike. And Teddy Roosevelt, I mean, he, he would go mountain climbing. uh, He would, go hiking actually he would this might actually make a good segue he would actually go hiking during his presidency in rock creek park let's make that a segue into the next off the beaten path spot on our list rock creek park is a huge urban national park it was established in uh, 1890 by congress and it is so big that it is actually about twice as big as central park in new york city So world travelers have probably visited New York City and gone to Central Park. And if you've ever gone there, you know that it is absolutely huge. You can't see everything in a single day. You really need to pick what you want to see. And Rock Creek Park is twice as big. Yeah, so it was established in 1890 as as America's third national park. Um, And the geography, you know, people might think of like Central Park, but it's much bigger. Uh, and its shape, you know, it's very narrow at the southern end where it begins in Georgetown at the Potomac. And then as it goes north, it gets wider and wider. It includes things like the National Zoo. Uh, there's some great hiking and biking trails that start from Georgetown. The hiking and biking trail actually goes all the way up to Broad Branch Road. And north of that, the Park Service closes uh, Beach Drive north of that to cars on weekends. And it's very, very popular for biking and walking and jogging on 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 the street uh there are a couple things worth seeing i would say that are a little bit farther like midway through the park and on toward the northern end where it gets wider and uh more secluded there's pierce mill which is one of the original operating uh mills on rock creek if you imagine in the 19th century they didn't have electric power so if you grew wheat or corn you wanted to grind it down you had to do it you know, near a water source that could then turn a wheel and then, you know, grind your your crops. Uh, So there are a lot of historic mills along Rock Creek, including Pierce Mill, which is open to the public uh, on weekends. And you can get you can, you know, look at the actual millstone and see how the mill worked. Uh, It's free. Uh, Just north of that is uh, Pulpit Rock, uh, which is along a hiking trail that Teddy Roosevelt uh, used to hike uh, during his presidency. Uh, just north of that is uh, on where Beach Drive crosses over Rock Creek. It does it several times. There's something called the Boulder Bridge. It's really unusual bridge. It's made of these 
really huge boulders and it was a, a design a design mistake. The architect said it should be built of man size boulders. What he meant was boulders small enough that a man could carry. The builder misinterpreted that as boulders the size of a man. <laughs> so it's 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 a bit of an odd looking bridge. I haven't seen many like it. Uh that's up there. So this is the kind of park where, you know, if you're an outdoors person or you want to do a hike or you want to do something that's, you know, what you would consider outside the city, this is actually a great place to go. People ask me sometimes, you know, how far do I have to go to get out into the woods to go do a hike? Uh, do I have to go all the way to Shenandoah, you know, or something like that? And no, you actually don't. You don't have to leave the city at all. You know, within the District of Columbia, we have this huge park that feels to me at certain spots in it that you're in the middle of the deep woods. In fact, I've tested that. There are parts in the northern section where I've stood and tried to listen to any evidence of human existence. And there's, there are parts where you can't hear anything other than birds or leaves or uh, the wind and occasionally like, you know, the Rock Creek uh, water uh, going by. Uh, as I mentioned with the Capitol Stones, actually during that renovation process in the 1950s, uh, parts of the original Capitol Stones, not the columns, but the rest of the work around is actually placed in Rock Creek Park, right there, right behind the maintenance yard, which is on the park map. Uh, they don't mark that there are historic Capitol Stones back there, but they don't stop you from going. It's not fenced off. It's it's one of the, the hidden secrets of, uh, of, of Washington, I might call it. And it, it's not advertised because they kind of dump them there, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're just piled up. So you see, you know, these uh, carvings of, you know, Greek architectural features that were originally on the side. They're just piled up and you can climb over them, uh, uh, take photos. You can actually, this is, this is one of those occasions where you can actually, things that you normally can't touch or see because they're so far up in a way, you can actually go up and touch these stones and look at the, the carving work on them. So unlike the Capitol Columns at the Arboretum, which were set up for people to come and visit, these were not set up for visitors, so if you want something rather obscure that you can go and see that's not on an official map necessarily, this is a great opportunity for that. Right, so it's just behind the maintenance yard, which is marked on the map just south of it. Uh, it's on Maintenance Road Northwest. There's a small parking lot. Some of the hiking trails go right to the maintenance yard. Right north of the maintenance yard is actually the Horse Center. Uh, they offer hour-long uh, guided horseback rides, no experience necessary. Uh, it's $45 for one hour. Uh, that's at the Horse Center because there are actually uh, equestrian paths within the northern part of Rock Creek Park. Just to the north of that, of the Horse Center, is the Nature Center and Planetarium. And it acts as a little bit like a visitor center. You can get maps. You can see exhibits about the park. Uh, every month they actually do uh, from... April to November, they do stargazing just after sunset. They provide the telescopes, and they give you uh, a, a guided tour of the cosmos, really, uh, from there. Um, and as I mentioned before, Beach Drive from Broad Branch Road to Military Road, and then f north of there from Picnic Area 10 to the D.C. line, is closed to cars on the weekends. And it may sound like an accessibility issue. Actually, it's it turns Beach Drive into a great place for uh, hiking and biking on the weekends. So if you're a bicyclist and you want to check it out, get a rental bike, uh, Capital Bike Share might not be the most comfortable, but it could get the job done if you really wanted to bike it. And that's a really good, cool weekend activity. 
So let's talk about the Frederick Douglass House, which is the next off-the-beaten-path site on our list. This was the house of Frederick Douglass. He lived here from 1877 until his death in 1895, so he lived there for quite a while. Of course, Frederick Douglass was born uh, into slavery, and then he uh, escaped at the age of 20 and became a prominent abolitionist and author. Yeah, so he was a social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, statesman. He wrote a best-selling autobiography about his escape from slavery. He's arguably the most influential African-American in the 19th century, probably of, uh, you know, almost like a, a Martin Luther King figure of his, his fame in the 19th century. So he died in 1895, but uh, he lived the end of his life here in, in Washington, uh, in the Anacostia neighborhood, he built this house on the top of a hill, um, and as a result, you know, the house has been preserved because it's preserved by the National Park Service, but uh, it also provides excellent views of downtown Washington if you go up to the house itself. Yeah, so this was a private house. He owned the house and the land, and then... Um over time, it you know became owned by several other private entities and eventually became owned by the federal government, which is why the National Park Service now has jurisdiction. Right, and they offer free tours at 9 a.m., 12.15, 3, and 3.30, April uh, through October. And the visitor center is at 15th and W Street. It's at the hill below, below the house, and then you walk up a staircase. And I think they do have a wheelchair-accessible ramp. Uh, and the tour, you can't get into the house without a tour, uh, it's, it's definitely worth seeing. It's a 13-minute walk from the Anacostia Metro, the 9092 bus and P6 bus, and the Congress Heights circulator from Union Station, which goes down Barracks Row, also uh, goes right by the house. Yeah, the views from up here are absolutely stunning. If you're a photographer, you just like good views like I do, it's definitely someplace that you will want to check out. And this is actually um, Frederick Douglass House. Several people who have come on my tours this summer have mentioned that they've gone to the Frederick Douglass House and they had a really great time. And this is a place where, uh, you know, many years ago, uh, it's in a neighborhood that, you know, kind of had a reputation where you tell tourists, don't go there, it's not safe. Uh, but nowadays it's changed a bit. And also we now live in the, the era of Uber and everything. And so previously a taxi driver might have said, I, mean, I don't want to take you over there, but now an Uber driver will be more than happy to take you over there. So even if you don't want to walk from the metro or take a bus, it's very easy to get to, uh, very accessible as well. Okay, so let's move on to the next uh, site on our list. And this is actually a collection of sites, religious sites specifically. So in Washington, D.C., we have three absolutely phenomenal religious sites. We have the National Cathedral, we have the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, and we have the uh, Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land in America. So those are three different places, and if you're into religious sites, these are absolutely must-sees. Well, they're going to be must-sees anyway because they're some of the tallest buildings in the city. <laughs> uh, so, uh, in fact, the National Cathedral, uh, you know, so Washington has a height limit that generally comes out to about 130 feet, uh, there's this myth that it's you know based on the height of the Capitol Dome or the Washington Monument. That's actually not true. That's a myth. It's generally about is a formula. It's about 130 feet. Some exceptions were given to the National Cathedral and the Basilica. They're allowed to go over. 
actually did make a video about the height restriction myth, and I said there's some exceptions I'm not going to get into, so I'm glad that you mentioned the exceptions right here in this podcast. Right. So I'll start with the National Cathedral, and it's actually located on, it's not only a tall building, it's on a very high point, so you can see it all the way from Virginia. Uh, it's, it was actually under construction from 1907 and was only finished in 1990. So the founding stone was laid by ceremony with, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. He comes into our podcast yet again. Uh, and the final, the final finial to be installed on the top of one of the towers happened in 1990 and, uh, George H.W. Bush was president. So Imagine it took a long time to build these uh, this cathedral. Now there are cathedrals in Europe that took hundreds of years to build, so it doesn't quite compare to that. But we, <laughs> it still it took a while, and it's called the National Cathedral. Uh, and a lot of people think that it's almost like America's uh, main church, but it's actually it's not affiliated with the government. It's actually an Episcopal church. It happens to hold a lot of very notable national events, though, uh, like the funerals for uh, Eisenhower, Gerald Ford, uh, Ronald Reagan, and most recently, uh, Senator John McCain. There were uh, memorial services for Harding, Taft, Coolidge, Truman, Nixon, uh, and for others like Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, Neil Armstrong. Uh, back in 2011, there was a, an earthquake which uh, in, on the East Coast, which damaged the cathedral slightly. So if you see it, there's, the repairs have been ongoing for a few years, uh, but I think they're nearly finishing. As for some of the art inside, there's a pulpit carved from stones from Canterbury Cathedral, uh, an altar stone from Solomon's Quarry near Jerusalem, 200 stained glass windows uh, in the cathedral. And they're not all uh, uh, religious depictions either. There's even one called the Space Window, which commemorates the landing on the moon, and there's actually a piece of moon rock in there. Uh, on the grounds of the cathedral, there's the Bishop's Garden. Uh, it's just to the west of the building, and there's a small cafe. Uh, now, so the cathedrals open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5, Saturday, 10 to 4, and Sunday uh, at 8, there's, uh, it's open to worship, and then it's open to the general public, 12.45 to 4, and then Sunday with a choral uh, evensong, and which is free. Sundays are free. So this is, even if you're not religious or you're not Episcopal and you want to uh, visit, you know, probably during the week would be the best time to do that when they're not having services there. You just want to come and see those stained glass windows, the beautiful architecture and everything else that they have on the grounds. Right. And so it's open for, you know, the the main part of the church. You can also take an elevator up, I think, around 100 feet or so. You can't go up the towers, but uh, you can get a higher higher view from uh, upstairs. They do offer, so $12 admission for a self-guided tour. Uh, it's $27 if you want to do a daily tour. You should make reservations. Uh, they have those daily uh, to get there. Uh, it's a 22-minute walk from the Cleveland Park Metro or from downtown DuPont Circle or Georgetown. You can take the 30N, 30S, 31, 33, 37, N2, N4, and N6. Yeah, so for those who want to do the walk, either from Cleveland Park or from Georgetown, it is worth noting it is an uphill walk, although, you know, if it's uh, a nice day, it can definitely be a, a nice walk up there. So the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception is different, very, very different from the National Cathedral. It's located in the Brookland neighborhood near the Catholic University of America, and that is because it is a basilica for the Roman Catholic Church. 
That's right. Actually, the Brookline neighborhood was historically a very, very、uh, Catholic neighborhood because it had a lot of Catholic institutions like Catholic University. It had the Basilica.、Uh, it has seminaries. It has monasteries.、Um, so that's it's a very, if you're looking for、uh, Catholic religious sites, that's the place to go.、Uh, the Basilica, as I mentioned, is also one of the, the, the buildings that has an exception to the height limit. And it is the largest Catholic church in the United States and one of the 10 largest in the world.、Um, just a few years ago, when Pope Francis visited DC, Uh, and he was driving all around. Actually, down the street from my house, I was in a cafe, and the Pope, the, he, he was going by. Well, he didn't have the Pope mobile. He had like a black Fiat, and I was like, what's happening? And he's driving from, I believe,、uh, the White House or the Vatican Embassy over to the Basilica because there are just so many Catholic institutions. And he was actually canonizing St. Tunipero Serra, who's a, a lot of Californians, you'll recognize the name. He was, you know, he was in California and、uh, Mexico. He's very,、uh, an important part of history. He was canonized here at, uh, uh, at the Basilica in 2015. So the Basilica has 70 chapels.、Um, it's 235 feet to the top of the dome, and the overall height is 329 feet tall.、Uh, groundbreaking was in 1920. Again, it takes a while to build churches. Uh, and I did not realize this. I thought it was actually finished, but it was not technically completed until December of 2017,、uh, when the final architectural element was completed and installed.、Uh, 24 tons of Venetian glass、uh, in the Trinity Dome, one of the largest mosaics of its kind in the world.、Um, so it's open 7 to 7. Uh, I, uh, April through October, and then 7 to 6, November through March. They have tours.、Um, Monday through Saturday at 9, 10, 11, 1, 2, and 3. And then on、uh, Sundays, 1 30, 2 30, 3 30. Presumably that's after Mass.、Uh, nearby, as I said, it's a, very, it's, a it's a neighborhood with a lot of Catholic institutions. There's also Franciscan Monastery of the Holy Land.、Uh, it's a beautiful monastery. They offer guided tours, which includes the catacombs, at、uh, 10, 11, 1, 2, and 3, Monday through Saturday. And then one, two, and three on Sundays, again, presumably after Mass.、Uh, gardens are open daily, nine to four forty-five. And the tours, are at, tours of the gardens are、uh, 11 and noon, April to September. And those gardens, I've heard,、uh, be described as some of the most beautiful places in the city, definitely during the summer months or the spring months when flowers are in full bloom, a place where you can see some spectacular.、Um, Flowers, and this is sort of one of those hidden gems that very, very few people even know about.、Uh, and yet, if you go, you're sort of shocked that more people aren't really aware of it. Yeah, and you know, people often think of a monastery as something that's very secluded, but this one's open to the public. They, you know, they have multiple daily tours. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so let's go to the last one on our list. This is、uh, sort of A neighborhood, not more so than a site itself, the Ivy City neighborhood of Washington, D.C. And the reason why you might want to go over there now in the late 2010s、um, or beyond is because we now have a lot of breweries and distilleries in that part of the city. And people you know, want to go and do brew tours and try out the different local options. And so you can definitely see a lot of them concentrated in this one small area. So, what's the short history of this neighborhood, Ivy City, and why are there so many? Distilleries and breweries there now. Well, so I,、uh, Ivy City was, I mean, it used to be, well, it still is, a, you know, it, it's a bit, of, it had the neighborhood a lot of, let's say, dilapidation in it. 
It was very industrial in the early days and, you know, industry in the United States, not just in Washington, D.C., but in the whole country sort of saw a downfall in the 1900s. And so, you know, it was a neighborhood that unfortunately lost a lot of industry. So, I mean, it's right next to the railroad and New York Avenue and uh, one of our big department stores, Hex, which uh, is no longer here. Um, They had their storage warehouse there. So it had a lot of industrial land. And in D.C., the D.C. started to liberalize its liquor production laws uh, within the past 10 years, and it generated this renaissance of brewing and distilling in the city. Uh, They made it so the same building you can brew or distill, and you can serve and sell to people right there in the same building. It used to be you couldn't do that. However, this production of alcohol can only be done in industrial areas. Washington never really had a big industrial economy. As a consequence, we actually don't have much industrial land. Ivy City is some land that is industrial. So it it started to attract these distilleries and breweries uh, because that's where they could operate. And they you know brew and distill on site. They can serve. Uh, and they give tours, too. The tours are usually on the weekends. So if you're really interested on a tour, I would suggest going on a Saturday. Um, and so there are a couple of them there. There's uh, the Atlas Brew Works. Um, there's Joseph A. Magnuson Company. These places give tours, and they have uh, – you can – they do tastings too. There's New Columbia Distillers. They were actually the first distillery in the district since Prohibition. They only opened a few years ago. Can you imagine we went decades without a, a distillery? <laughs> so they're, they're, they're known for a local gin called Green Hat Gin. They give tastings, tours, and sales Saturday 1 to 4. Uh, there's 1-8 Distilling, uh, the second to open since Prohibition. Again, only within the past few years. Vodka, Gin, and Rye. They do tastings, tours, and sales Saturday 1 to 8. Republic Restoratives, they do vodka and bourbon. And they're actually uh, D.C.'s first uh, woman-owned distillery. They're open for weekend tours and tastings. Um, To get there, it can be... So, obviously, if you're going to be sampling all these things you shouldn't be driving so or have a designated driver so uh, either take a uber or a taxi there or you can take the d4 bus which runs on k street downtown uh if if you find uh you want to go to different parts of the city for breweries there's dc brow which uh is a popular brewery they there's beer sold in a lot of bars here they were one of the first yeah they're on their uh first brewery yeah so the other ones were distilleries so the brewery that they're on bladensburg road that's dc brow tours saturday one to four three stars beer on uh Chill in Place, tours on Saturdays at 2 and 3. Uh, there are actually some that are a little bit closer in that are metro accessible. Uh, District Distilling Company at 14th and U by the U Street Metro. They do whiskey, vodka, gin, and rum. Hourly tours uh, for $10, 4 to 8, Monday through Friday, and noon to 8 on weekends. Very convenient. Um, if you can't if you can't make their opening time, they actually have a full restaurant and bar upstairs where you can taste everything that they make. Uh, down by the Navy Yard, there's Blue Jacket Brewery, which has many, many types of beer. And I believe Rob is uh, very familiar with that place. I've been a few times. I think they have around 20 beers at any given time, and they rotate them, so you can try something new every time you go. And what's interesting, it looks like the, the brewing operation goes on above where you sit and you can drink the beer. So you can look at all the equipment uh, above you. Yeah, that one's interesting because it's, I think, 
the way it was described to me was a vertical urban brewery. So most breweries, if you tour them, it's basically just a big warehouse with a bunch of tanks in it. And to me, all these brewery tours kind of become the same after a while looking at a big warehouse full of tanks. But Blue Jacket's actually really interesting because it's very different. They actually have a grain elevator that takes the grain up to the top, and then it kind of flows down to the bottom uh, as the process goes. And a smaller one, actually, right by my house— been going there ever since they opened is a uh, right proper uh, it's a small brewery at 624 t street right at the shaw metro they specialize in beer um and actually their their prices are pretty good for beer uh, a lot of these places that sell beer in dc you're allowed to do something called a growler which is a, a glass or ceramic uh jug and you can the law was changed so you can take your beer your jug to these places and they will fill it and cap it for you and um, it's it's good for a, a certain while, but you get fresh beer you can take home. Yeah, maybe not the kind of thing you want to bring on an airplane or something like that, but <laughs> if you want to bring it back to your hotel room, it's an option for that. And like you said, I just want to reiterate that a lot of these places are only uh, open for tours on Saturdays or on the weekends. And you kind of have to appreciate that these are not museums. These are actual production facilities, and so they have to actually do work during the week, and that's why they typically only open them up on the weekend for the tours when they don't have the people in there uh, brewing or bottling or doing any of the heavy work. So, Eric, I want to thank you for coming on Episode 3 of the podcast. I think that these were all really, really interesting ideas for things to do, sites that you can go and see, and I would be really interested to know if any of the folks listening to the podcast knew about any of these places before because I feel like these really are off the beaten path, uh, as the name of the episode suggests, and I think people really get some good ideas for things they can do that's not just the Smithsonian Museums or not just the monuments and memorials which don't skip them they're definitely worth doing but if you want something a little bit different these are all great ideas so thanks again for coming on my pleasure thanks for listening to the trip hacks dc podcast to see the show notes from today's episode get additional resources for planning your trip or to book a trip hacks dc guided tour visit triphacksdc.com